0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Benchformers podcast. I'm Colin James. I'm here with Lance Daw. Lance, how are you doing today? Doing great, Colin. How about you? I'm doing great as well. Today is October seventeenth, is Monday, and we have a lot to talk about. We have a big weekend of college football, have like a lot of really big games, a lot of really close games, a lot of really fun games. Big week of college football. We also have MOB divisional series, lots of upsets, lots of games that you would not expect to advance, but here we are. So we're gonna talk about that as well. Lance, would you wanna start off with college football first?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, in a top five matchup, top 10 matchup, excuse me, with Penn State, Michigan 41, Penn State 17. A kind of a weird game, the way that this one played out. If you didn't actually watch this game and you looked at the score when it was 14-13 and you said what I said, which was, oh, wow, Penn State's hanging in there. And then you checked back in at the end of the game and said, oh, yeah, well, I know Penn, Michigan would was pull that out. They were going to pull away. You need to actually go back and watch this game because at no point... Did it look like Penn State was going to really have a legitimate shot in this game? Pick six that they had in the first half just kind of prevented the blowout from happening quicker. The Wolverines in the box score and, like I mentioned on film, just simply simply a better team. Offensively, there were some inefficiencies, like they had to kick four field goals inside the red zone. And that's not necessarily great when you're looking down the road for future prospects against bigger opponents which we can talk about that in a little bit but yeah just overall one of those games where you kind of went into it at least if you're from from my perspective you kind of went into it expecting not necessarily a blowout but for Michigan given the style of play that they have just to kind of control the game and that's kind of what we got out of it
0: all right now every time I watch Michigan I always feel like at least in the first half it just feels like Man, they can actually lose this game. I remember listening to it on the radio while I was running errands the other day, and the score was, what was it like in the first quarter? Like when the first quarter ended? Was it like Gosh, It was s- like...
1: 7-10, something like that? Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah, it was like really close, And then uh, Penn State made some like pretty big mistakes, and then Michigan just was able to pull away. So And Michigan's been playing like that for a while now, and that makes me wonder, do you think that they'll stay undefeated going into oh, yeah. at least Ohio State?
1: Well, that, that, that's what I wanted to talk about here. So, I mean, they've got four games before that Ohio State game that I think from a matchup perspective, I mean, from a talent perspective, really, I think they're going to have the advantage. It's the question of whether or not they can execute. Now, you look at Ohio State in the past, whenever they've had the opportunity to close out the slate and go undefeated, they've slipped up against a random team that they probably should not have But the in. Michigan not necessarily prone to doing the same thing. And I think the worst part about it, if you're Ohio State, if you're an opposing team of the Big Ten looking to contend, is that Michigan gets three of these next four games at home. They get Michigan State, then they go to Rutgers, at home against Nebraska, and then at home against number 18, Illinois, which is something I did not say, did not think I would say coming into this year. And then they play at number two, Ohio State. So yeah, I definitely think they've got a shot of winning these next four. Winning at Ohio State, though, is going to be really, really difficult to do because this yes, Ohio State team, I think it's I think it's a little bit, I think they're a little bit better than they were last year. And I think you would probably agree with me, Colin, you watch this Michigan team. And I don't wanna say that their leaps and bounds better than the team that they put out last year, but they're good. They're really, really good. And that's a team last year that made the playoffs. So can Michigan kind of replicate what they did last year? Can they contend in the Big Ten? Absolutely, but again, it's going to have, it's going to come down to that Ohio State game, as we all know. And that's the big question, whether or not they win it. Don't know right now. if I would feel comfortable picking the Wolverines in the horseshoe, but we'll just have to see
0: yeah I think that change of JJ McCarthy over uh K there I think that was really helped the team because he's just playing lights out and also uh Blake Coram too he's really good running back too as well I think really their toughest matchup to me will probably be Michigan State because they, no matter how bad they are, they always put up a fight. And also their only ranked matchup against anyone before Ohio State is Illinois. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go up against them. But really, I think that they could possibly win the Big Ten again. Like assuming that everything goes well they manage to like get through this part of the schedule and maybe somehow beat ohio state like it just depends on like well the defensive offense clicks together these next games
1: yeah and it's one of those like you mentioned they've got a really solid quarterback in jj mccarthy but you look at the depth that this michigan team has i think they've got two quarterbacks that if they had to put the other one out there in Cade mcnamara i think they would be confident with him you look at the running back room, like you mentioned Blake Corum, they've got a couple different guys in there that they feel confident with. They've got depth at a lot of different positions. You look at this game specifically talking about that ground game, Colin, 418 rushing yards for Michigan in this game. It was 418 of their 562 total yards. They outgained the nittany lions 260 to 562 had 18 more first downs i mean this is one of those games where you look at michigan and their offensive identity and they've gotten really really comfortable with it over these past couple of years and that's definitely going to be i think that's something that's probably probably not going to be talked about enough whenever you get to that ohio state game is yeah ohio state can score and that's going to be the big headline but like this michigan team Look, I know that Ohio State's defense is improved, but this Michigan team can score as well. And so I think that's gonna be a really big question heading into that matchup is okay, well how many points does Michigan need to put up to win the game? Because I think they can get close.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. That was Penn State on Michigan. It was a lot of fun. Let's see how far Michigan gets. Now next up we have Auburn versus Ole Miss. Now you, Lance, were actually at this game this Saturday. So tell us about your experience.
1: I'll say this first and foremost miss or Ole miss fans excuse me I almost said michigan Ole miss fans were extremely kind it was a great time um there was a massive rain cloud head, uh, sitting over the stadium that looked like it was threatening to uh, just bottom out at any point during the game there was a lightning or uh, lightning delay there at the end but overall it was a good experience i enjoyed it uh Ole miss 48 auburn 34 14 point win for the rebels did not cover in this game and you know what they say good teams win but great teams cover Auburn, apparently a great team. In that exactly. Exactly. That's the mindset. <laughs> so, uh, uh, this, go I. Ahead. So I thought
0: it was gonna be a blow because you know Auburn's quarterback room. No offense, but it's kind of garbage. But they, the fight they were able to put in to the second half, they were able to like cover the spread. You know how do I put this? Like I really commend them for actually putting in a fight. You know, able to like come back and like make it a closer game than it should have. Because there was that point watching like the second half where I was thinking like, hey, maybe Auburn could actually come back and beat Ole Miss. But then almost like, Lane Kiffin, like, came out and did his thing, and, you know, it was just game.
1: Yeah, this game featured a lot of running. Like you mentioned, Auburn got down big early 21 nothing, and then they decided that they didn't uh, want to curl up into a ball and take the beating that Lane Kiffin was giving them. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it's, it's odd given the state of the program, and it, it really felt like over the past couple of weeks, in case, nobody, in case anybody doesn't know, I cover Auburn. I've been an Auburn fan my whole life and i'm trying to look at this from an unbiased perspective and i'm right there with you auburn's quarterback room extremely underwhelming right now but given the state of the program the way things are going it was surprising to see these kids wake up after getting down three scores that's when they decided to wake up and actually go out there and try and establish some things offensively auburn moving forward probably not going to be doing a whole lot in terms of scoring this is one of those games where you look at historical trends over the past few years auburn's just been able to run the ball on old miss for whatever reason whether or not whether that be trench talent or star skill position players i don't necessarily know regardless though i'll say this after getting down i respect the comeback okay i respect their ability to fight back into this game there was a pass interference call in the second quarter of this game that I think really determined the rest of the flow of this matchup. It, it had the PI not been called, Auburn would have had an opportunity to go down and tie the game or potentially take a lead at some point in the second half. I definitely think that could have changed the flow of what Ole Miss wanted to do offensively, which was run the football every single play. Jackson Dart, though, I believe he was like 9 of 19 in this game, but he threw three passing touchdowns. Look, this Ole Miss offense, I think schematically, I think schematically, it's very, very sound. It's very, very entertaining. It's going to be a fun team to watch moving f- forward. And actually Ole Miss right now, sole proprietor of first place in the SEC West, the only undefeated team
0: in yeah, the SEC that West. that's right. right also, I believe Jackson Dart also threw
1: less than uh, Robbie Ashford as well. He did, and that's, yeah, he and did. that's a thing, right? It's, it's so confusing the way that Auburn's offense operates sometimes and Jackson Dart not really having to do a whole lot, and I don't want to call this kid a game manager because he's a former five-star quarterback and he ran for over 100 yards in this game, but I'm really, really impressed with what he's been able to do, kind of stepping into Matt Corral's shoes, not necessarily lighting it up. Though I will say there are a couple of different statistics out there that he's actually better at uh, as opposed to Matt Corral. I guess a couple other things I would say about this game Auburn's not firing Brian Harson this week and in my opinion, they're not going to make a move until an AD is hired. Apparently, that's what's been said. That's kind of the decision that's been made until Auburn hires an athletic director. They're not going to be making any moves with their head coach and honestly, it, you think about it from an optics standpoint, I mean, it would be time to go, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense uh, if this season is just kind of lost at this point. Auburn doesn't have a great person to put in as an intern uh, so it's just kind of is what it is. And the last thing I would say, Colin, the final five games of Ole Miss' schedule, I will be watching with great interest. And you may have an opinion on this. I think the Egg Bowl could decide who finishes second in the SEC West or who wins it outright.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could honestly see that. Like, I kind of agree with you on that. Because looking at their schedule, it's next week they're uh, at LSU. Then they're at Texas A&M and then they host alabama so that's like the next three weeks next three games so i think that if they win the two of those and then somehow knock off alabama then the west is basically theirs to lose
1: yeah and you've got that road game at arkansas before you play the egg bowl but the way that arkansas has been playing you know defensively i'm not really excited about what they're doing so that's going to be an interesting matchup and then I'll also say this. If you're looking at this from a Mississippi State perspective, which we'll get into later on in the, in the podcast, that's a short week uh, for both of those teams. So that's going to be interesting how they handle, uh, handle things from an injury standpoint, how they ha- handle things from a conditioning standpoint. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily a revelation considering these teams play on Thanksgiving every year, but it's definitely always an interesting aspect of it.
0: Also, one thing I forgot to mention about Auburn is that a lot of times it feels like their O-line just keeps collapsing. When I was watching that game, it just felt like uh, Ashford was running for his life a lot of times. and They just allowed too much pressure to him.
1: Um... Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Um, it's easily the worst offensive line that Auburn has had this century. Now, I don't necessarily know if I could comfortably say that it's the worst offensive line they've had ever because i was not around in 1948 whenever auburn was playing Tulane and and all these different no-name schools that are no, no longer a part of the sec but it's definitely the worst it's been in a long time i think we can say that comfortably yeah. auburn's had some injuries up front They've tried rotating some guys around, Colin. I, I just don't see it getting any better. And we're going to continue to see Robbie Ashford run for his life, essentially. He has a tendency to bail from the pocket a little too early, but at the same time, who blames him? Yeah, I mean, they can't block anybody yeah like when i watch him he like
0: tries to make plays but his o-line is just not helping him at all
1: no it's uh it's definitely a, a dire situation for the auburn offense i don't really necessarily know how they're going to pull out of it i think the answer that you would have given preseason is they're going to be able to run the football but until this game they hadn't really been able to do much of that and i'm surprised that they were able to do it at, at as high of a clip as they did in this matchup do they do it moving forward i doubt it but again we'll just have to see All right, so
0: that was Auburn versus Ole Miss. Now we're moving on to Oklahoma State versus TCU. Frankly, I thought Oklahoma State would get away with this, but TCU managed to pull away with a win because I remember I got halftime. I remember they were just down by, like, what, 10, 20 points or something like that. At that point, I thought, okay, Oklahoma State's got this. And then I tuned in a little later, and turns out it was 40-37, like second overtime, like, What's happening? I don't understand what's going on. And then TCU managed to pull out a win, which is great for them because really big statement win for TCU, honestly. I think this puts them in contention for a Big 12 uh, championship appearance.
1: I want to talk about their their ability to potentially get to the Big 12 championship game in just a second. But yeah, this was one of those games where early on in the first half, there wasn't really a whole lot going on other than Oklahoma State just kind of taking control. I mean, Oklahoma State was at one point up 24-7 in this game. And they had a 90% chance, according to and they had a 90% chance to win this game with five minutes left in regulation. And they botched it. They just simply botched it. Like I mentioned, just kind of an odd game, the way that it played out. Not a whole lot going on. Six field goals. Ah, uh, combined before the end of regulation teams, just not necessarily finishing drives, although a whole lot of scoring. And this is similar. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the same because Michigan in, ended up blowing out Penn State, but similar to the Michigan Penn State game statistically. I mean, you look at the box score, Tcu controlled this game outside of third down. They had more yards, more yards per play, more first downs. They controlled the ball in terms of time of possession. So TCU right now looking like a really sharp squad. The fact that they were able to come back and win this one is impressive. TCU coach Sonny Dykes, after the game, said that Max Duggan, TCU quarterback, is playing about as good as any quarterback he's ever coached, which is interesting considering Duggan was not the guy that won the job out of fall camp, even though he's been the starter there for a couple of years. He lost the job to Chandler Morris, SMU transfer. And the only reason Duggan's playing right now is because Morris got hurt. So the fact that they've got somebody that had to step back in and is playing as well as he is right now, it's really promising. Look ahead. Like you mentioned, comma or Colin, the Big Twelve is so wild this year. It's really hard to pin anyone into the title game. But Tc right now, six and zero. look at the back half of their schedule. It's going to be interesting. Got Kansas State coming up this week at home. That's going to be a big one. You've got a road game at Texas, got a game at Baylor. It's going to be fun to see how the Big 12 shakes out, but TCU right now, making a really good case that they should at least be in the title game.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma State just got completely outcoached in the second half, in my opinion. Like, they just made the adjustments they needed to, and just they just got completely outcoached. And Oklahoma State it's next week has uh, Texas at home, so that'll be a fun game to watch.
1: And by the way, Longhorn's favored by three and a half in that matchup in Stillwater that's gonna be one to monitor
0: yeah it's gonna be an interesting game to watch so that was Oklahoma' State versus TCU now up next we have Alabama versus Tennessee everyone was hyping up this game just leading up to it there was so much hype going up to this and it really did live up to the hype you know when they when Alabama got within field goal range within the last three two minutes of the game I really don't understand why they didn't just drive up the ball to get easy yards and stuff just try to pass it on 3rd to 10 because That's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. But Tennessee, I think, might actually be legit.
1: I think that this has got to be game of the year status immediately. You know how, Colin, you would play on the old NCAA video games and you would play in these really close games and you would get a notification at the end that you had just played in an ESP and Instant Classic and it would tell you where it ranked. I think this one immediately (laughs) jumped up to at least top, if, if we're considering college football games this century. I think this one's got to be at least top 20, maybe even top 10. It was absolutely (laughs) phenomenal. I was
0: thinking the same thing.
1: I'm going to ask you a question because you do care about the Crimson Tide. From your perspective, coming into this game, I was obviously really excited about the matchup. I actually almost went uh, for, for literally no reason other than just to see a really, really big game. but. Coming into this game, you know, whenever Alabama's faced off against big-time competition and big-time situations over the past several years since Nick Saban's been there, it feels like they've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, yeah, it's this big matchup, whoop-de-doo, but it still feels like heading into it, Alabama's going to find a way to take control and win this. You've seen this a lot during the uh, Texas A&M-Alabama games over years past, except, of course, for last year, but even that, that was not a top, like, 10 matchup. You've seen this with LSU games in the past where Alabama's come in, it's been a top 10, top 5 LSU. Team and they've just kind of manhandled them, taking care of business. It felt like for me, I wanted T or Tennessee to win this game. I wanted them to find a way to pull it out for the first time in sixteen years. By the way, for anybody out there that doesn't know how long it's been since Bama's lost in this rivalry, but still, it felt like even though the spread was close, Bama was going to find a way to do it. And there was at one point, I believe they had a twenty-five. No, it was it was either a twenty-five to six run or a twenty-eight to six run in the middle of that game. It looked like Tennessee was going to fold. At any point before or during this game when Bama was making that run, did you just kind of think, okay, Bama's going to take control? Because that's genuinely, to me, what it felt like.
0: I think that if Jameer Gibbs made that catch, I think we probably would have gone away with it. But because Bryce Young was just – going out there like showing why he's a defending heisman champion you know like he's just going out there splitting shots to his wide receivers he's just going out there making the passes he needs to make but looking back now there's just like way too many mistakes like 17 penalties uh that's like the i believe the most nick Saban's ever given up during his tenure at alabama like that just if they can continue to play like that like i could see them dropping another game or two because they've just been playing like really bad on the road recently and I think that they really need to clean up soon or else it's going to come back and bite them.
1: I want to get to kind of looking at Alabama t- or as a program moving forward because you bring some interesting things up about the penalties and how this team is functioning on the road right now. Before I, 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 we, we kind of dive into that, Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee receiver, had six catches. Five of them in this game were touchdowns. I, I think the biggest thing to me about this is that the Bama kicking issues, like you mentioned at the end of the game. Once again, they came up and it's a, it's a kicker calling will and will Riker that has been really solid up and up, up until these past two weeks, struggled against Texas A and M came into this game. Looking to rebound from it, it kinda felt like Bama's kind of shaking off those issues. And you know, in that environment, I don't necessarily chalk that up to oh, you know what, it's just how Bama keeps performing in the past. It was one of those where it's like, Man, that is such a tough kick for
0: Yeah, like as soon as they said it was at the fifty yard line, I already knew he was gonna miss it. I I I just thought to myself, there's no way he makes it, not in that environment.
1: And you look on the Tennessee side of things, Tennessee in this game. Even though they caught a couple breaks, they did have that random fumble for that was returned for a touchdown by Alabama to just give them the lead late in that game. Tennessee didn't do anything crazy to win this. It wasn't dumb luck. It wasn't just by happenstance. Tennessee played through their identity to find a way to win this one. They threw the ball around the yard. They played decent run defense and it was just a volunteer win. That's what it looks like. Now it going back to the Alabama side of things, they're still on top of what, what looks like to me, in my opinion, a relatively weak SEC West. I don't think Bama fans should really have much to worry about after this game, other than the fact that Tennessee fans are going to be all over them for the next 365 days until they play this game again, third Saturday in October next year. But it's it's one of those where they shouldn't really worry. Like you mentioned, Bryce Young, phenomenal in this game, really, really solid. He was not the reason Bama lost.
0: Yeah, he was definitely not the reason.
1: In fact, I think... I think it's really easy to say he's the reason that they won if, if Bryce Young does not play in this game. I think Bama loses and they lose big.
0: Yeah, because
1: I... If Jalen I, Milrow has to play.
0: Yeah, I honestly do not think, like, Jalen Milrow is that guy, you know? Because watching him at Texas A.M., he did good, but he wasn't, like, you know, amazing. Like, mind-boggling, like, give this man the Heisman.
1: He did what young players do, which they make mistakes, and they turn the ball over a little bit. And you know what? That's okay. That He'll find time to develop. He's an insane athlete. Again, Bama, I think, should be okay moving forward. One more note here before I dive back into... Bama, Tennessee had the ball 22 minutes in this game, and they scored 52 points. Josh Heupel's system is insane right now, and I'm curious to see if it continues to work over the next several years in the SEC, because we've seen new offenses come into this league over the past decade, and they've just kind of flamed out. Uh, Schematically, I'm intrigued to see what he does to either stay the same, or if... Uh, some some question marks come up if he's able to adjust. Looking at Bama though, Colin, you mentioned the penalties. Seventeen penalties in this game. Right now, Bama among the bottom five in Division One in terms of penalty yardage per game. They had more penalty yards than rushing yards in this game. If you ever if you ever need a padlock stat for a game, that's one right there for you. But Alabama over the past couple of years, specifically last year and this year. It's just, they've been doing so many uncharacteristic things. The best part about it is they've continued to win, but it doesn't necessarily look like the Alabama of old. And you look at the head man himself, Nick Saban, he started to change in terms of personality a little bit, I think. I think he started to kind of enter the twilight years of his career. I don't think that's a revelation. I think that's pretty clear what's happening with Saban is he's entering the final years of his, uh, his tenure. As, a, as the greatest of all time. Do you kind of see it going that direction? Or do you think Alabama is going to be able to rebound from this because that's been the question, right? Since last season, they started to have some really, really close road wins and that's kind of poured over into this year the question this and this offseason was you know can Bama a rebound from that they had a really close game at texas now they've got the loss here they maybe should have lost to texas a and m last week they definitely had a and m definitely had a shot to win it so do you see this kind of continuing on a slow downward trend in terms of on the field product not recruiting not not resources anything like that but just on the field production or do you think they're gonna be able to get out of
0: it? Really, at this point, it just depends on, like, how they're able to learn from their mistakes and clean them up. Did that, because they still, like, put up, like, four or nine points, like, it was still a really close game, but their Tennessee defense, I mean, Tennessee offense just completely torched them. Like Hendon Hooker, that's like a really big statement win from him. He's a really good quarterback, and the fact that Justin Infante at uh, Virginia Tech did not choose him, he's a complete fool and deserves to be fired for like not choosing Hendon Hooker. I believe at this point, like I think Alabama will rebound, but it just depends on like how they're able to execute on the field because... Their next three games, they host Mississippi State, then it's at LSU, then at Ole Miss. Mississippi State, I'm going to be honest, they're like they're probably going to get steamrolled, especially after what happened at uh, Kentucky, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But at LSU, I think feel like LSU, if they able like depending on the environment, if they're able to like go out there and make the plays that they need to make, I feel like Alabama could struggle. And Ole Miss, who's looking hot right now, I feel like that is a game to look out for as well. So it really depends on like these, how these next three weeks go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the big question of whether or not they can actually execute on the field. And you just broke it down, Colin. The, the schedule, I think, these final five games, it's going to give Bama an opportunity. I'm not going. I'm not just sitting here definitively saying, oh, well, they're just going to steamroll everybody that they play, but they've got an opportunity here against competition that they should beat. Like you mentioned, Mississippi State. Probably not the greatest matchup for the Bulldogs at LSU. The last time that Nick Saban in Alabama faced off against Brian Kelly in a dual-threat quarterback, it was, what, a 41-14 win in the national championship championship game in 2012. I- I'm not thrilled about LSU right now, not necessarily as a program, but just as a team. Kelly's got a lot of work to do there as far as building.
0: Yeah, like, I'm not thrilled league. about LSU. Either. It's not the talent that worries me. It's like the environment, yes. having to play Death Valley, that worries me yep. for Alabama. Absolutely. Yeah, because... Yeah, LSU could like play like crap, but it's the environment, it's like hostile, you know? then Alabama yes. could be in some trouble.
1: So, like, you can, look at it both, you can look at it both ways here. Mississippi State, veteran team, a lot of experience could give them trouble. LSU, it's Death Valley, not really much needed.
0: Yeah, a lot of weird of things happen in Death Valley.
1: Ole Miss, it's Lane Kiffin. They're just an interesting team right now. Defensively, they're better. And then Auburn, it's the Iron Bowl. That game's always at least weird for a half. Probably I have a really hard time sitting here with a straight face saying that Auburn has even remotely a shot in that game. But still, you can look at this back half of the schedule and see opportunities for Bama to slip up but also if you talk about just kind of realigning things and getting the product on the field back to where we've seen it they've got a really good chance to do that and so I'm intrigued to see whether or not Bama does that if they struggle with these final five games look they've got opportunities to do, do that but it was it would almost surprise me a little bit if in more than one of these contests They, like, really struggle
0: like they did against the Volunteers. Yep. So we will see how these next three weeks go for Alabama. And that was Alabama versus Tennessee. Now next up we have Mississippi State versus Kentucky, which is is just Mike Leach's annual lay egg in a game that you're supposed to win. (laughs) Because Will Levis was injured, and then he came back and, like, was able to pull the team back out from a win. So I feel like there was just opportunities where we could have, like, who came in and just won the game, but uh Kentucky just, you know, I feel like after that last loss, like, who did they lose to? Oh, they lost to South Carolina. So I feel like after that last loss, I feel like Mark Soup is like, all right, we need to, like, actually get our crap together, you know, and, like, we need to go in and, like, dominate, and, like, they obviously did not dominate the first half. Like, we actually had them on the road, so we were doing pretty good, but then – Kentucky came, made the adjustments, and we just collapsed in the second half.
1: Yeah, Kentucky really struggles to finish drives, and that was a really big killer in this one. Wildcats win by 10, by the way. 27-17 was the final score. Wildcats have a tendency to start off really, really slow so far this year, and then eventually they figure it out in the second half. I said this on the Locked On Kentucky podcast last week, and I thought it was the biggest mismatch heading into the game. Mississippi State, 12th in the SEC, and rush yards allowed per attempt. Chris Rodriguez, back for the Wildcats, in this game had the second most rushing yards in a game in his career, and that's just kind of what decided it. Will Levis, like you mentioned back in this game, wasn't 100%, didn't play well, threw a pick six late to cut it to a three-point game uh, with State uh, having an opportunity to maybe uh, get a stop and and maybe uh, go down to kick a field goal to tie it, but uh, Chris Rodriguez in Kentucky hammered the ball I believe there was a huge like 50-something yard completion uh, to one of Kentucky's reserve receivers, and it was just like, well, that's kind of all she wrote. I I guess the biggest question in this game, Colin, this was one of those games where Kentucky didn't necessarily feel like they were playing well. State offensively uh, did not play well, in my opinion, much at all. From a Mississippi State perspective, why did the offense shut down so hard compared to what Mississippi State did to Kentucky and Starkville last year. I mean, this was a blowout a year ago. What happened? Because
0: this air raid offense, baby, that's what it is. Like, when it works, it's beautiful. But when it doesn't, the whole team just completely collapsed. And that's exactly what happened in Lexington.
1: It's uh, it it just seems like sometimes that the offense, that type of offense, it's just it's hot and cold. It's like
0: yeah, it's, it's like a, just like complete a... gamble, you know. Like sometimes it's like you go out and you can barely move the ball down the field, and other times you're putting up like four hundred yards, four touchdowns.
1: It it's it's like my analogy, and I forget exactly how it goes, but it's kind of like an old lawnmower. Like, sometimes it'll work, it'll cut the grass fine, and then just at random intervals for no reason it'll just bog down really hard on a small clump of grass that a normal lawnmower would be able to get, and it's just, it's kind of inexcusable, but also you understand it is the way that it is because it's an old lawnmower, so even though I would say that in this case the air raid is a little bit more of a modern approach to the game, but still. It, it, it's one of those games where you just look at it and say, like you said, it's the it's the annual Mike Leach drops a game that he probably should have won. That's kind of my, yeah. my assessment of it.
0: So that was uh, Mississippi State versus Kentucky. Uh, hopefully Mississippi State rebounds and we get a good bowl game. So that's the hopes. Fingers crossed. So next up we have NC State versus Syracuse. So Lance, let me ask you this. How... The heck is Syracuse six and
1: It's something that really perplexes me, to be honest. With How you, Colin.
0: is Dino Babers like leading this team this to a six and record?
1: It it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, you pull up their schedule and see if they've played. The only team that's actually worth uh, their salt so far that they've played is Louisville, and that was in the season opener that they won thirty-one to seven. They've got a really tough back half here, which we can get to in a second. But looking at this game specifically, if NC State was healthy, I think the Wolfpack win this yeah. game twenty-four to nine. Yeah. To be score.
0: fair, NC State was without their like possible yeah. NFL quarterback like uh, Devin Leary, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so Devin Leary. They were without Devin Leary. However, like Syracuse just came out and just like completely manhandled them. I just do not understand how.
1: Yeah, for me, not a lot to say about this one other than the fact that this is just simply what happens when you lose your quarterback for the rest of the year. I think it's hilarious that Syracuse only had two players carry the ball for them. It was Sean Tucker, the running back, Who's been struggling a little bit recently, and then Garrett Schrader, their quarterback, Mississippi State product for nobody for anybody who doesn't know out there, he's really started to develop. He's very similar to Eric uh, Eric Dungy that they had a couple of years ago. The Syracuse offense, the one that that Babers wants to run, is perfect whenever they have a dual threat kind of physical heavy quarterback that they can run whenever they want to and that kind of carried them in this game. Two interceptions by Schrader though. You look at the box score, just kind of an awkward game, the way that it paced out. Had there not been turnovers and uh, time of possession in favor of Syracuse, I think this game could have been a little bit more lopsided. The Wolfpack have been known to hold on to the ball this year uh, and they didn't have a a lot of reasons to speed up in this game with a backup quarterback. Uh, So they, they dominated time of possession. Syracuse only had eight third downs. They converted four of them. Uh, so, yeah, just a weird game. And then, like like I mentioned earlier, just looking at Syracuse's schedule, they've got some tough, tough games coming up here. And it's sad, I think, for the Orange. They're probably going to get their hopes up for division's ti- uh, division title. Those are going to get stomped this week when they play at Clemson. And then they've got four more, more road games uh, in total in this back half. We'll see how it goes. Um, very random note here, Colin. During my research for this, I realized something that I knew but hadn't, like, truly registered with me yet North Carolina, not NC State, North Carolina is 6-1 and one and undefeated in AC, ACC play, which is kind of weird to bring in, but it, it, it's the same conference, and I just thought that that was surprising, because uh, you look at that division, it's just so all over the place. The only real contest, random note, only real contest North Carolina has left on the, on the year is Wake Forest, uh, so I think that division could be theirs. Uh, if we're just talking about the ACC division races with Syracuse potentially being in the mix. But yeah, a uh, weird, weird game for the Orange. They come out with a dub. I believe they're ranked 14th now in the AP poll. Um, it'll yeah. just be a top 15 win for Clemson. That will honestly probably be one of the most forgettable top 15 wins that they get to, at any point over the last decade.
0: That's correct. Also, another thing about North Carolina is that they also play really close games too. Like last week, sure. like it was uh, they won 38-35 to 35 at Duke. Then before that, it was uh, 27 to 24 at Miami. Then before that, they hosted uh, Virginia Tech, which they blew out, but they've co- continued to play like really close games. Like Obviously, it was that game where they won 63 to 61 versus Appalachia State. So do you think uh, North Carolina is going to drop a game soon or do you think they go undefeated into the possibly ACC championship?
1: Man, that defense is so bad, I can't see them winning out. I
0: just can't. I just don't, <laughs> yeah, that I don't defense is pretty bad. Like,
1: yeah, For anybody out there that doesn't know, that g- that defense is... Uh, is Yeah, the
0: Ricky, the score another. looked like a basketball game. That's what that defense is doing. <laughs> <laughs> none
1: other than, none other than Gene, Gene Chizik calling the plays for that defense, by the way, for anybody that's wonder, wondering. Dude, how I,
0: how I thought he retired. Game. I thought he was gone.
1: Well, he did, and now he's come back and decided that he wants to be extremely terrible for one more year before he finally locks <laughs> okay. in with SEC so, Network.
0: He decided to run it back, man. All one right, more so time.
1: let's see how bad I can be.
0: So that was NC State versus Syracuse, and last up we have USC versus Utah. So, um, Kayla Williams did not play bad. However, some of that officiating, like what Lee and Riley said, was pretty bad. I would say. Like yeah, it's just some man. really questionable calls, like.
1: Pac-12 officiating. Man, yeah, Pac-12 officiating. Oh man, it was it was rough. Forty-three for Utah, forty-two for USC. The what? The first thing I had written in my in my notes here were there goes the pac trolls playoffs hopes. I mean, they're gone, in my opinion. Even if Oregon wins out, they've still got a loss on the resume. The I, I think we can say with certainty that unless UCLA wins out and beats Oregon and U- UCLA or USC convincingly, Pac 12s not getting a bid. Unless the Big 12 produce, produces a two loss champion and Georgia doesn't completely or completely wets the bed. Um, it, it, the Pac's not back. And this is just one of those games where the conference cannibalizes itself in the weirdest way possible. Utah early in the season really really big uh, favorite to win that conference i would just like to say for this game specifically uh what the hell usc because you had a 90 percent chance to win this game with less than five minutes left just like oklahoma state did and you blew it both these teams bled yardage defensively and i'm sure you can get into the the numbers here colin we knew usc was bad on defense i had no idea it would be utah of all teams that would expose usc in this way
0: also, it doesn't really help that Jordan Allison got injured as well. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm happy for Utah, though, because that was a pretty big win for them. But uh, the officiating was pretty bad, in my opinion. It just a pack, it's just that classic Pac-12 officiating.
1: And uh, by the way, Utah's quarterback in this game, Cam Rising, 30 for 44 passing, 415 passing yards, two touchdowns to the air. Three touchdowns on the ground to go along with that Utah he's (laughs) honestly he's honestly really underrated in my opinion like super underrated even though he had that great Rose Bowl I mean still people just don't talk about this kid enough yeah look at this game specifically late Utah tried to throw it They tried to choke Michael Bernard fumbled at the USC 11 they were going to score again but they fumbled right there 11 yards away from the end zone USC decided to do nothing with the position that was given to them Utah went down and scored just a weird ending to a game that USC given the way that they had been scoring touchdown after touchdown after touchdown just they decided to bog down at the weirdest moment possible so yeah it's um it's a great win for Utah great win for Kyle Whittingham and that program um who's winning the pac-12 not entirely sure ucla probably the favorite there ucla and oregon play this week by the way that is going to be a huge
0: huge game oh it is i'm definitely going to be tuning into that one um so do you think usc makes it do you think they're able to to pull through
1: to the pac-12 title game i think that with the way that the conference just beats itself up i definitely think that's a possibility I definitely think that they've got enough offense to get there. It's just, do you see UCL or UCLA slip up? I think that's the big question. Whenever these two teams play, who wins? And that will decide it.
0: Yeah. Let's hope that uh, Alex Grinch isn't their defensive coordinator for too long (laughs) because he's like, because there's a reason why he was kind of infamous at Oklahoma. But that was USC versus Utah. And um, that about wraps up college football for this week. But before I move on, I would like to give a uh, honorable mention to two other games, California versus Colorado. Colorado got their first win after being zero five, I believe. All let's the fans. Go. Let's go. All fans rush the field. Absolutely deserved. If you honestly if you lose to Colorado, then you like deserve to just like fail at college football, you know.
1: Injury yeah, program.
0: Yeah. And then the other honorable mention I have is uh, Stanford versus Notre Dame. Stanford somehow pulled out the win. <laughs> Notre Dame is uh, just
1: completely falling off the tracks. Like, holy crap, this is a train wreck. Uh, and some people were saying that Notre Dame was a college football playoff contender. I want to point something very random out here. So Marshall beat Notre Dame earlier in the year, right, and Stanford just beat them. Marshall and Stanford are a combined two and seven against Division one teams. And their two wins are against Notre Dame. They have not beaten another Division One opponent this year.
0: Dude, Notre Dame really needs to, like, make some – like, really needs a wake-up call because this is just not it. It's just not I it, know. man. All right, so that was college football week seven. A lot of big games, a lot of big moments overall. Great week. What did you think?
1: I think this is definitely this is one of those you hope to get at least one or two weeks like this every single year, where you look across and there is just big game after big game after big game and you see so many different ones going down to the wire. You have three different top 25 matchups finishing with three point victories. Absolutely loved all of it. I hope that we get something else like this, preferably later in the year when conference chamber conference uh, title games are being decided. Would love to see another weekend like this. So far, best week of the year, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So that was college football. Now we're moving on to MLB. The divisional series is on. The postseason is on. Obviously, as Braves fans, it's been disappointing because man, we got whipped by the Phillies.
1: And I don't, I don't understand it. I just, I don't understand. It, it didn't necessarily feel, feel like Atlanta had the same momentum. That they had carrying into the postseason last year, but they rebounded, they swept the, the Mets at the end of the year to win the division outright. Uh, it ooh, everything was setting up for Atlanta and Houston in the title game again. And then the Philadelphia Phillies, who were at late in the year didn't look like they even wanted to play postseason baseball. They were just losing games left and right, decided, you know what? Let's just beat the snot out of Atlanta just for fun. And before that, they beat uh, St. Louis two-nothing in the wild card.
0: Yeah, also, cassianos he plays like crap all season, but of course, as soon as he plays us, all of a sudden he like, goes out and plays like he's freaking Barry Bonds, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, it's
1: not, it, it, it wasn't just his bat, it was also his defense. Like, he made a couple of really, really
0: yeah, good catches. he was just so good. insane on both sides of the ball, you know?
1: Oh, man. But, yeah, Atlanta Falls, Seattle beat Toronto 2-0 in the AL wild card before getting swept dude, out by Houston.
0: Dude, that, so, like uh 18 innings. That was the game 3 where they got yeah. swept. Like yeah, I really Seattle, wanted I the want to Mariners to win that honestly because I was
1: I've been bandwagoning Seattle for like the past couple of months because I do really I did really want to see them succeed and I hate Houston. So this was uh this was not a good week for me, I would say from a sporting yeah. event standpoint. Not, not it
0: was not a good week for me either because uh Braves lost you know, Mississippi State loss, Saints like collapsed against the Bengals. So it's just not been a good weekend, you know? Just not, it's just been one of those weekends. And- I, I guess um,
1: question I would ask you, Colin, is you, you've got, let's see, you've got Cleveland and New York right now who are currently uh, battling it out 4-2 in in favor of, uh, uh, in New York, I believe, that was the, the final score uh, earlier today. So you've got either New York or Cleveland playing against Houston. Then you've got Philadelphia and San Diego. Man, you mentioned upsets. The five seed for the for the uh, National League is going to be playing the sixth seed to see who advances to the World Series. And then it'll either be the three seed against the one uh, advancing to uh, or the two against the one advancing to play uh, for the AL in the World Series. A lot of upsets. Question here to you, Colin. Who are you pulling for, and who do you think is going to win it? Uh,
0: anyone except the Astros, honestly, because I thought it was – Same. I honestly thought it would be the Dodgers to lose because they had an amazing season, 110-plus wins, like, club record. They have, like, such a loaded roster. Like, I thought there's no way they could possibly lose this World Series. You know what I'm saying? And then they just go in and completely crap the bet against the Padres, who they've been in like six times before this. Like it's October baseball. Like October baseball is different.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this about the Padres. You know, they uh, they kind of went, you know, to talk about LA and how good their team is and how much money they spent trying to get that club together. San Diego made some trades this year. They got Juan Soto. Uh, they tried to make a push uh, for a World Series and they are uh, they're a few games away from actually making it there, so shout out to them. I'm right there with you. I'm pulling for anybody but Houston and I guess I should, I guess anybody but Houston and New York, to be honest with you, even and if New York doesn't make it out you know, it's honestly just Cleveland, Philly or, or the Padres. I'm cool with any of those three teams taking. It yeah, honestly
0: I'll take the Phillies winning over the Astros, honestly. I, I'll,
1: I'll take the same.
0: Yeah, because also, so something I thought was funny is a quote from uh Dave Roberts, who's the manager of the Dodgers, this is from earlier in the season, where he said, I quote, we will win the World Series this year, and put it on record. And uh,
1: that did not happen. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh did somebody get the somebody gets the old the old takes exposed. Yeah, get account. the old takes someone
0: trailer. get uh Dude, my favorite uh, baseball Twitter accounts, uh baseball images after seen Unfortunate Events. Like, man, yeah, this some like, fire one. There's some, like, fire images on there. Go check that out. Really, really funny. Yeah, it's, like, really funny. So, um, that was the MLB playoffs. October baseball was, like, on fire. Just completely on fire. So, um... Now, one last thing, we're going to go back into college football real quick. So um, after another week, we have uh, our college football hot seat. So obviously, uh, Lance, you being the Auburn expert here, how long do you think till uh, Brian Parson, you know, like uh, gets booted out the door?
1: Yeah, so for this segment, you asked me to come up with a, or come up with who I think uh, are, are, are on the college football hot seat. And the first name I put down in the dock was Brian Harson. I don't think it's so tough because it, it, it's one of those where I don't even think the people that are going to be making the decision know when they want to fire Brian Harson. They've got plenty of opportunity this week during the bye to, to make the move if they want to. Uh, I if I had to guess like, I don't think he's getting fired until the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I was thinking like I was about to ask like do you think he's going to get fired like now like soon or they're going to wait till after the season's over?
1: No, I think they're going to let this drag out and I think it's going to be an awful back half for the Tigers. I think it's going to be really really rough. Auburn is 3 and 9 in their last 12 games. The last time Auburn went 3 and 9 in a 12 game stretch was the 2012 season. Any Auburn fan that hears the world word 2012 immediately just starts to cringe. It's it's not looking good for Auburn in a lot of different spots. Harson is nine eleven at Auburn. Colin, I got a question for you, a little quiz. All right. Hit the me. last the last non-interim coach to finish their Auburn career with a losing record was who?
0: Hmm. Is it Kevin Steele? Wasn't he? He, so he
1: was an he, he was an interim. So then he lost that one bowl game. So the last non interim coach, the coach that was actually hired by the university, um, and actually had like a legitimate tenure. Hmm.
0: I, I probably was not alive for this, so I would not. Neither of us were. Yeah.
1: It was Earl Brown who went three 22 and four during the 1948, 1949 and 1950 season. Oh wow! It's so been yeah, it's been a hot minute, Auburn. man. Yeah, it's been that long since Auburn fired a coach that had a losing record. For anybody out there listening, no, Doug Barfield did not have a losing record in the seventies. He went twenty nine, twenty five, and one. I think he I think he had one tie. Uh, so yeah, Doug Barfield uh, had a winning record there. It's um it's again, there's so many different stats and things that we could dig into to to explain why Brian Harson's not the reason. And I think everybody and their mother knows he's going to get let go. It's just a question of when. Again, if I had to guess, it's at the end of the season. And you look at what Auburn could do moving forward, there are some names that have been thrown out there. Don't necessarily know if it's the best idea to kind of get in wade into the waters and start guessing at some of those names right now there are some interesting names but I will say this I think in order for Auburn to succeed they're going to need somebody that can be somebody that's controllable somebody that's comfortable in the good old boy system that has just kind of made its way out into the public everybody knows how Auburn operates they know what's going on behind the scenes everybody just seems to be okay with it and so I think they need somebody that fits the mold I don't think they need somebody that's going to come in and bash things and break things up because they tried it with Harson. And it has not
0: worked. Also, Jimbo Fisher, too. He's a fellow SEC coach. Um, they had a bye week this week, I believe, but their next game is at South Carolina, which, in my opinion, if he loses that, then he's achieved, like, nuclear fission levels of pop seed because there's just no way they're going to keep him, even with that buyout, because they have that Texas oil money, so... I know I know they can't afford it.
1: If they have a losing record this year, I will be very intrigued to see what they do with Jim and yeah. Ford. Be very intrigued because gets- like you said, they've got the money. If they need to reset that things before Texas and Oklahoma move to the conference, they've got the chance to do it. yeah,
0: it's a friendly reminder, it's ninety million fully guaranteed. So oof.
1: Of course you could look that look on the flip side and say that A and M as a university has ninety million re- million reasons not to fire him right now. And the crazy thing is, even when it gets to the end of the, tr- the contract, I think they still owe him like 20-something million. It's it's ridiculous. They whoever his agent was, he did a man did a phenomenal job. Um, I, I, I want to kind of get to some other coaches here, Colin. Quickly before I had four college football coaches on the hot seat. Honorable honorable mentions though, Neil Brown, West Virginia. I think his contract is too big to let him go right now. He also just got a win over Baylor. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. I think is another name you have to at least keep a watch on. Recruiting this pass cycle is way too good for them to make a change right now, in my opinion. And then Scott Leffler at Bowling Green. He's 3-4 and four right now with a loss to uh, FCS team Eastern Kentucky. Those are three names you have to keep an eye on. Um, but there are three others outside of Harson that I think are more prominent. I'm going to list them off here, Colin, and see if any of them strike you as more important than the others. Jeff right. Scott at South Florida oh yeah
0: i think he's i think he's gonna be out the door
1: and then david shaw at stanford i think is the most interesting one
0: yeah i have him on my list too strongly yeah i have him on my list too i think i think both david shaw and jeff scott are going to probably get booted before the end of the season either before the end of the season or after the last game is over they're gonna be like yeah you gotta go
1: jeff scott right now four and 24 during his tenure at south florida and he's getting paid almost two million dollars annually to lose like that I don't want to call it quits for his head coaching career as a whole, um, but he's not a very bright spot on a very dim Dabo Swinney coaching tree. I will say that.
0: Now, uh, another guy I have right now is uh, Tom Allen, head coach of Indiana. Do you think he survives another season, or do you think they're going to tell him to leave soon?
1: I think that Indiana right now is really trending in the wrong direction, and I would not be shocked if they let him go at the end of the season. They may give him one more year after this. Um, But he's definitely somebody that is on the hot seat. And it's one of those programs, uh, not necessarily in Indiana, but just one of those mid-tier Power Five programs that you see them make random moves like this all the time where they make a firing and it's like some people may say, oh, it's a year or two too early or what's going on here. But yeah, I think that he could definitely be somebody that steps out. What do you think about Scott Satterfield at Louisville?
0: Yeah, I think he is. his seat's definitely getting warmer. I do not think he'll get fired this season, but next season, if he doesn't produce, I think he'll probably get fired.
1: I think he's got way too many pieces on this team that, like, give a reason to, like, for people to quit on them just yet. He's 21 and 22 and three and a half years there. ESPN's Adam Rittenberg reported last week that if Louisville were to lose to Virginia, a change was expected at the head coaching position, which doesn't really make sense to me. And also Louisville won. So I guess he survives another week. I think that type of conversation is stupid. Because my question is if the people in charge are determining the outcome of this guy's career based on the performance in one game, I'm questioning their decision making overall. And I'm questioning if especially for the next guy that they decide to bring in, I don't understand why the three and a half year product he's put on the field is not enough, if what Rittenberg reported was true. And to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know if it was 100% hundred accurate I, I'm not questioning ESPN as a source I'm not questioning Rittenberg I'm just saying I, I don't I don't know if that's the type of conversation that's happening in regards to letting a guy go I don't think anybody that has made it to that point in their career to get into the position at Louisville or another power five job to where they say all right if he loses this game, then we're going to let him go. It's like, is what, he, is what he's done for the past four years? Is that not good enough? Like, does it really hinge on some random game against Virginia? I don't think so. Um, if you were going to point to individual games, though, I think the fact that Louisville gave up thirty four points to Boston College two weeks ago kind of tells you what's up because that Boston College team is awful. Um, <laughs> but they've got Malik Cunningham still. They're a decent team i think they've got an opportunity to still make a bowl you can't fire a man if he makes a bowl game at a place like louisville this week though starts a three game home stretch for louisville that caps off with a game against the recently undefeated and ranked james madison dukes shout out to clay hilton and georgia southern for beating them all right so
0: another thing i wanted to talk about is uh, coaches whose seat isn't necessarily hot but it's getting warmer like every game so For me, it would be Mel Tucker, who obviously – the situation with Mel Tucker, I would say, is that uh, any season after the season they had where they won the Peach Bowl, it was just going to be a letdown because there's no way they're going to match that. But uh, right now, it's just things are just not really looking good for Michigan State. And also, uh, Brett Venables, who got shut out by Texas the other week First shutout since 1965, I believe. Um, Overall, though, it's like I think if Brett Bendables continues to recruit well and if he has a bounce back year, I think he'll be safe. But for now, like uh, Oklahoma, I believe, uh, is last time I checked, they were at the bottom of the Big 12 division, West or East, or I forgot how it's set up, but they were at the bottom of their division and We'll just have to see how these uh, next games go.
1: Yeah, right now Oklahoma. Uh, I the weird thing about the, the Big 12, which I think college football is going to start to shift in this direction once we see some more realignment. Uh, Big 12, no divisions. They, I, I'm I'd be shocked if they get have 16 teams here before OU and Texas move in a couple of years, and they don't like split it up by division or something like that. It's going to be weird. It's going to be cool to see what happens, but Oklahoma right now dead last. Uh, in the big 12 standings and like you mentioned that the de- defense has been putrid they got shut out by texas not a good look for first year head coach brent venables do they let him go this year no i don't think they would and uh, do they let him go next year i doubt it especially considering like you mentioned the way that they're recruiting but it is a name to watch because you talk about the, the power structure in the in the big 12 conference you talk about oklahoma and texas moving if they wanted to make a decision before they moved, I think they could with Venables. I think it's possible. And then to go back to what you were saying about Mel Tucker, uh, yeah, they've got a ton of money that's been thrown his way. So if they let him go, they're gonna have to really deep reach deep into their pockets to uh, clear that one. But it's, um, I, I think a lot of people kind of saw something like this potentially coming with Mel Tucker. He built his roster off of transfer portal kids and that's unsustainable. Even though the transfer portal is very much so early in its in its uh, in its history, I think it was pretty clear to a lot of different people that what he was doing probably not going to be something that he could do every year and just and just win. Uh, he's got to be able to actually bring in recruits. So, the the three and four start that they've had this year not necessarily exciting given what they did last year and they returned some really solid pieces. So. He's, uh, he's definitely another name I'd be looking at.
0: Okay, so is just off the top of your head, whose other seats do you see getting warmer as the season progresses?
1: Like I mentioned, some names to watch. I think Neil Brown at West Virginia is somebody that you have to watch. His contract, in my opinion, is just too big for them to let him go. Uh, right now, I believe it's sitting closer to ten million. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's a little bit under that. If I'm if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, but they also just picked up a big win over Baylor. But his seat was hot coming into this year, so if he does not finish things out strong, he's definitely somebody that could be taking a little heat uh, at the end of the regular season. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri also. Um, somebody that has been a little disappointing
0: uh, so far. Yeah, he like yeah they like completely blew that game against Georgia.
1: Completely blew the game yeah. against Georgia. They they had the Auburn game one and uh, they missed a chip stop shot field goal with the best kicker that in. That was like
0: the most Missouri way to lose. It was so sad. Yeah, it was I, so I, sad.
1: I, I was at that game and um after nathaniel pete fumbled the ball into the end zone nobody really had a reaction like people had a reaction after uh the kid missed the field goal the missouri kicker missed the field goal but everybody was just so stunned they couldn't speak it was it was just such a bizarre way for and it was like you said it's typical missouri but brown and Drinkwitz are two that i'm looking at in particular right now as other people that are their seats getting warmer
0: all right uh Real quick, honorable mentions Justin Wilcock of California because they lost to a 05 Colorado. So yep. LOL. And Willie uh, Taggart of Florida Atlantic. So mm-hmm. do you think he turns it around?
1: I, I don't necessarily know if he turns it around, but he is definitely. Uh, if we're talking honorable mentions and we're and we're tier listing this, if we're going from hot seat to names to watch to honorable mentions, I think those two are perfect. You look at Wilcox; it's just not been good over the past few years. I would say I believe Colorado or California made a, a couple bowl games early on in his tenure, and they've just not been they've not been what they could be. Yeah, I'll say that.
0: Yeah and also first year head coaches Marcus Freeman of Notre Dame and Mario Cristobal of Miami. So, who do you think is on the hotter seat in your opinion?
1: Ooh, that is a fun question. I think it's really hard to think uh, it let's 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 say this. Neither of these two coaches are getting fired after one season.
0: Yeah, I yeah, obviously. Obviously they're not going to get fired after this right, season. But, like
1: But if we're projecting and like feeling out how these guys are going to perform the rest of their careers at their, their respective schools. I think maybe wrong here. I think Mario Cristobal has to be under a little bit more pressure because I feel like Miami is a place where you you get a little, a little bit more pressure than he would at Notre Dame. And I, I think that maybe some people may disagree with that. And they may say, well, Notre Dame's one of the most historic uh, programs and all of college football when you think of college football that's one of the first teams that you think of but Marcus Freeman I think is in a little bit better of a position to kind of prove that he can work especially with the way that they're recruiting right now I mean they're recruiting better than than they did at all under Brian Kelly so he's got he's got time to kind of figure it out I think a little bit more time maybe uh, than Mario Cristobal because if, if Mario doesn't work out um, we are And whenever I say workout, I mean workout like next season workout if he doesn't turn it around this year. um, You're going to see a lot of people get really upset, I think, because people thought he was going to be the savior of that program. I don't necessarily think people saw that with Freeman. So, yeah, I, I would probably lean toward Cristobal, although I will say both these teams... Lost a group of five schools uh, earlier on in the season. Both these teams right now kind of been shaky against mid-competition. They've lost a couple of games that people didn't think that they would come even close to losing to heading into this season. So it's two really interesting interesting situations. Uh, And that's a really fun question to ask. Who do you think is hotter? I I think that with
0: Notre Dame, like they had higher expectations going into the season Mm. because they had like... A better built roster and marcus freeman would see was seemingly like more prepared you know but after they dropped that game to marshall everything just went downhill whereas with miami mario cristobal came into like a good situation he was able it seemed like on paper his team seemed like really good but uh after they dropped that game to like Middletown c state like <laughs> it's like okay um Maybe we can make some improvements here, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, there's yeah. it's definitely been a, a, a weird it's just uh, been weird. <laughs> it's been a weird start to the to the year for for the hurricanes.
0: Yeah. All right, so that's our college football hot seat. So before so that's about it for our show before we uh sign off. Is there anything you would like to say, Lance?
1: Anything yeah, you'd like absolutely. to add? Absolutely. Uh, If you are not following both of us already on Twitter, please make sure to do so. I'm over on Twitter at LanceDaw underscore. Colin is over on Twitter at Colin underscore James1. Make sure to follow us. Both of us are covering uh, Mississippi State and Auburn respectively. Going to be putting out a lot of different content over on our socials. So yeah, be sure to check us out.
0: Yep, and new episode every Monday, so be sure to tune in next week. Thank you for listening, and good night.